You're listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His Kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Week number seven, and uh, man, was it exciting last week just to hear about your status as children of God. Isn't that comforting to know what it means to be justified, what it means to be adopted by God, to know that the burden of the relationship is on him and your faith and your repentance is really resting in him and his grasp of you. And Paul used those great words. uh, When you came to know God, rather when God came to know you or when you were known by God, I found the scripture so comforting that we are children of God. Uh, This week, we're gonna continue in the chapter four and we're gonna be talking about some gospel goals, some gospel goals. And I'm gonna pray for us. And as I pray, Angel's gonna come up and read the scripture for us. But let's bow our head and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you that you sent the spirit into our hearts the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. And we pray that that spirit would be at work, giving us more confidence in God as Father, giving us more joy in our relationship with with you, giving us more power as we walk the Christian life. And we pray today that we would be molded and shaped by the word, that we would be more confident in what you say in the scripture, and that you would help us apply it to our thinking and our affections and our lives. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's welcome Angel. Thank you, Angel. But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements. Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are, you are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps by labor for you has been wasted. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for all I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So then, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? They court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. But it is always good to be pursued in a good manner and not just when I am with you, my children. I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. 
I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about it. The word of God. What are your goals in the gospel? You have this status now as a child of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, God has adopted you as his father, as, as your father. What's your goal? We're here as a church and everything about our church is centered on the gospel. We're empowered in the gospel. We're rooted in the gospel. We're sent with the gospel. But what's our goal around the gospel? What are we trying to do as a church? Or even for me as your pastor, what are my gospel goals in this church or for you? We all have goals whether we know about them or not and it's important that we examine them and ask whether our goals are good goals or if they're even God's goals. Because to have the wrong goals can be tragic. John Krakauer is an author and he wrote a book called In the Thin Air about a Mount Everest expedition that happened in 1996. And it was a tragic expedition where eight people died in one day. And one of the people that died on that day was a Japanese woman named Yusoku Namba. She was a 47-year-old FedEx employee from Japan. And she had experience climbing. She had reached all her previous goals in ascending mountains. She, she had done Denali in Alaska. And she had reached the top of Kilimanjaro in Africa and Aconcagua in the Andes. And she was on Krakauer's team that day on May 11th, 1996. And just as she had reached all her previous goals to ascend those other mountains, she was determined to reach her goal of getting to the top of the top of the world, of ascending Mount Everest. And everyone knew that she was focused on that goal. Krakauer later wrote, Yasuko was totally focused on the top of the mountain. It was almost as if she was in a trance. She pushed extremely hard, jostling her way past everyone to the front of the line. She wanted to get to the top of Everest. She had accomplished so much and she was not willing to not accomplish this goal of getting to the summit of the top of the world. And she made it. Her hard efforts worked out and she made it to the top of Everest. And her fans were excited and she got to spend those few minutes on the top of the world, having reached her goal. And you can't stay too long on the top of Everest because the, the weather changes so quickly and so they stayed there just for a few minutes but then they, they descended the mountain, they began to descend the mountain but right as they got off the top of the mountain, a blizzard rolled in and they were caught high up at the top of the world. And as the blizzard rolled in, the temperatures began to drop and the winds blew and the whiteout happened as the snow swirled around them and the ice closed in and as Yusoku's exhaustion set in, she froze to death at the top of the world. Having reached her goal, but yet having lost her life at the same time. 
It's interesting, authors have examined that day, it was a day when eight people died. And many have said that her fatal flaw was her goal. Which is interesting because if you're a mountain climber, you think the goal is to get to the top. But she spent everything reaching that goal to get to the top and what many have said is her goal should have been to get back down. That's really the goal for a mountain climber, to get to the top and get back down. And it seemed like she spent everything pushing past people, pushing forward, pushing herself, giving everything to reach that goal to the top. And she made it, but she didn't come back down. Ken Edwards writes, the tragedy is that Yosoko accomplished her goal. Against incredible odds, she made it to the top of the mountain, but as she poured out her energy to get to the top, she did not save enough strength to make it back down. She failed because she adopted the wrong goal. Having a wrong goal is tragic. And for us as the people of God, as the adopted children of God, as followers of Jesus, it's important for us as we understand the gospel to understand where it's pointing us, to understand God's goals for us in becoming his adopted children. We wanna have the right aim, the right trajectory. We wanna be on point for you as an individual. As you grow in the gospel, what is God's goal for you? As a church family, what is God's goal for us in the gospel? And for me, as your pastor shepherd, what should be my goal for this church in the gospel? As we've been going through the book of Galatians, you know that there's been a big issue here where Paul, this church. Paul went to the, the province of Galatia in southern Turkey, and he started these churches that believed in the gospel. And then he left to go plant more churches. And after he left, false teachers came in and began saying, listen, it's really great that you believe in Jesus, but you need Jesus plus something else to really be accepted by God. You need Jesus plus circumcision. You need Jesus plus following Jewish cultural rules and the ceremonial law. It's not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus something. The Judaizers were saying, if you want to be in a real relationship with God, you need to just be a little more religious. If you want certainty about being included in God's people, then you need to follow a few more ceremonies. And if you want to be a real Christian, then you need to become circumcised just like the false teachers. And Paul's correction throughout the book of Galatians is no, it's not Jesus plus something, it's Jesus plus nothing. And he continues that by giving the Galatians a correction of their goals. And he says, if you want gospel goals, here they are. Find your identity in the gospel. Have your identity freed by the gospel. Find life in the gospel. And thirdly, let Jesus Christ be formed in you. Let your identity be freed through the gospel. Let your life be found in the gospel and let Jesus Christ be formed in you. Goal number one, identity freed through the gospel. Last week we talked about what it means to have our identity enslaved to idols and idolatry. 
Paul was writing saying that some people are enslaved to religiosity, but other people are enslaved to non-religion. I'm gonna do what I want, when I want, where I wanna do it, and they cannot stop doing those things. They worship something besides God because they think it gives them freedom and meaning and value and identity, but those things actually trap and ensnare them. Just like in our culture, we're taught to build our lives around power and worship fame and center our lives on our image and pursue comfort at all costs and give everything up for pleasure because those things will free you, but they don't free you. They trap you. You remember the monkey trap illustration from last week? The monkey trap's very simple. It's a vase with a small opening and it opens up at the bottom to a wider opening. And you just drop a nut into the monkey trap. Monkey comes along and slides his hand into the narrow opening, grabs hold of the nut, and then will not let go and you have him trapped with this vase around his arm. We are told in our culture to get power and comfort and image and pleasure and fame at all costs. The problem is those things don't actually bring us freedom. They ensnare and entrap us. See, if you pursue power and you can't let it go, you will hurt yourself and you will hurt those around you. If you pursue comfort at all costs, you will be trapped by it because you'll never be comfortable enough if you're enslaved to your image, you will be constantly curating how you appear to other people and never able to let it go. But what Paul says is that in the gospel, you get a new identity that isn't manufactured by something that you do or don't do. And rather than enslaving you, your identity in the gospel frees you. It frees you. Because it says from God's perspective, the deepest part, and the deepest part of who you are is that you are an adopted child of God. You're loved by him. When you come to know Jesus Christ and you repent of your sins, God sees you as his child. And that's not an identity that you have to pursue after or hold on to. It is something that is given to you and therefore received and so you don't have to hold on to it, you just have to rest in it. Our adoptions as children comes through faith and what that means is even when we feel unloved by the world, God always loves us. Even when we feel worthless in the world's eyes, God always values us as, our, as his children. When we feel unsafe, we are still in God's hands. When we are uncomfortable, we are still comforted by the Holy Spirit. And when we feel alone, we have the promise that God our Father will never leave nor forsake us. Because our identity is secure in what he has said about us, that we are his children. Amen. And God's goal for you is that your identity would be freed from those things that enslave you. And that you have begun to find your greatest joy and your greatest worth and your greatest value in being his child. That's his goal for you in the gospel. That you wouldn't be enslaved by something that is not God, but be free to receive an identity from God. 
wonder with Yusoku Nambu, Namba, I wonder how much of her flawed goal came from that pursuit of an identity. If I can just make it to the top at all costs, then I'll be valuable, then I'll be admired, then people will give me influence. And while she was so determined and it's tragic, the reality is I can picture myself in her shoes and I wonder if you can as well. I wonder if you can envision yourself pushing past other people to hold on to the power that you have or exhausting yourself trying to hold on to the comforts of this world or not thinking too far about the future because you're so caught up in holding on to the pleasures of the moment. Though her story is tragic because of her flawed goal, we have to be careful because we can go right back to those same idols ourselves rather than what God says and holds out for us in the gospel as a goal. Rest in your identity as a child of God through Jesus Christ. That's who you are. It's not something that you have to pursue or hold on to. It's something you rest in and receive. Paul was so affected by this identity that he wrote this in verse 12. You can go a couple slides. Uh, verse 12, one back. I beg you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I also became like you. Paul was so secure in who he was as a child of God that when he went to Galatia, he didn't feel the need to convince them to be Jewish like the false teachers did. In fact, Paul says, I tried to become like them. I was a Jewish man, you were Gentiles, because I wanted you to have a free identity in Jesus Christ. I lost some of who I was in order so I could reach you with the gospel. I wasn't trying to make you like me, I was trying to become like you so that you would listen to me when I shared about the truth of who Jesus was and what he'd done for you. His identity was freed in the gospel. And so what he says is, I became like you, but now I want you to become like me, not in the sense that you become Jewish, but in the sense that I'm free in Jesus Christ and I want you to be free in Jesus Christ as well. I don't have to look to anything in this world for my identity and neither do you. Because my identity has been freed through the gospel. You know, we live in an age of outrage. That's what people are calling this time, this, this age of outrage where everyone says, you gotta be like me, you gotta think like me, you gotta act like me, and if you don't, I'm outraged. And people are rejecting each other because they're not exactly like each other. But I think at times as Christians, we might get caught up in that mindset where our identity is insecure and so we go out into the world and we find out people are not like this, uh, so then rather than being free in our identity in Jesus Christ and reaching them where they are, we try and make them think like us and be like us and act like us before they've ever come to know Jesus. Why? Why, are we insecure about who we are and we go out there and we find people are different than us and we use that as an opportunity to reject them rather than being secure in who we are in Christ and becoming like them 
so that we can reach them. If we require people to become like us before we give ourselves to them, our deepest identity is actually enslaved to whatever we're requiring of them. If they have to talk like me, then we need to examine that because there's some idolatry behind that. But being freed by gospel identity allows us to move towards people even when they are not like us. And so Paul says, root your identity in the gospel. See yourself from God's perspective as a child of God, as a beloved of Jesus, as a sinner who's been completely forgiven. That's goal number one. Goal number two is to have your life found in the gospel or find life in the gospel. Paul planted dozens of churches and each of them was planted a little bit of a different way. In Ephesus, he rented a lecture hall for two years and he just every afternoon would go and lecture or, or just share the gospel to anyone that would come and sit in the seats just like I'm doing with you. And in Philippi, he was thrown in prison and he shared the gospel with his words and his actions and through displaying spiritual power. But the way he, he started the church in Galatia is really interesting. In verse 13 and 14, he reminds us, he says, you know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. And what we think was happening, the way, the way we think that the Galatian church actually got planted was that Paul was not planning on stopping in Galatia, but he got sick. And we're not quite sure what the illness was, but our best guess is that it had something to do with his eye. It had something to do with his eye. At the end of the book of Galatians, he says, see what large letters I write to you. And we think that at that point in the story, whoever was writing the letter as he spoke, it handed him the pen and he couldn't see well, so he had to write big letters. But the thing about this illness, if it is something about his eye, we think that it was a high maintenance medical condition and that it might've looked kind of gross. You know, you ever have a friend who like has something wrong with him, like, does it look bad? And you're like, no, but yeah, it really does. <laughs> that is what happened with Paul, we believe. What Paul says is that he was thankful that they did not despise or reject him with this kind of gross eye issue. In fact, they welcome him and care for him as if he was an angel from God, as if he was Christ Jesus himself. Why? Well, I mean, can, can, can you imagine this church being started, this guy shows up in your town, he's sick, he might not be interesting to look at and he needs you to take care of him and out of that, a church gets started? How, why, how did that happen? Because Paul preached the gospel. Even in his sickness, the Galatians found it compelling. Even in his deformity, it brought joy. Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and it brought life in Galatia. As the, as the Galatians heard about the good news that Jesus had been rejected on the cross so that they could be accepted, as they heard the good news that Jesus had paid for their sins and that God had declared them righteous in him, and 
as they heard about God's wrath being poured out on Jesus instead of them, and now they were recipients of God's love, they believed. And it brought life, even though Paul was sick, even in the midst of this uncomfortable situation where they had to take care of this man who might not have been interesting or even pretty or even reasonable to look at. He had this deformity and his situation made him appear weak. The world says that is no situation at all, but that situation brought life because in the middle of all that, Paul preached the gospel. And people met Jesus. Paul had become like them as much as he could in order to reach them even though he at that time was not attractive in his appearance and he was high maintenance. He needed help taking care of his eye. And he says, I was a burden. I was not pleasant to look at and yet the gospel flourished and new life happened in Galatia. I think that's a good pushback for us in the Western church. And by the Western church, I mean Europe and North America because we're in this time now where churches and Christians feel this need to present the perfect image as if we have life going on in and of ourselves. And I see lots of churches using FOMO, fear of missing out, come to church and, and like we have everything together, we have the perfect image, and we wanna attract you and draw you. And that's not bad. I mean, we just spent yesterday beautifying our church, but yet we have this example of a church planted by an ugly sick man who was a burden to take care of. And some of you go, well, that's the way this church was planted. <laughs> but what we see here is a situation where the gospel brings life in the midst of a situation that the world calls that's death, that's ugly, that's disgusting. And here in South Florida where we see life as youth and image and influence and power, I mean, we're called to be like people, but God doesn't need us to be like people in order to reach them with the power and life of the gospel. The culture may look at us and say, you're nobody. You've got nothing going on. And our response is, yes, we do not in and of ourselves, but through the gospel that's bringing new life into me and you and us together. And Paul's warning to the Galatians is, be careful because you know that when I came and it was just the gospel, life flourished. But now you're being drawn away, Galatians, by people who are promising you a deeper life, a greater spirituality, false teachers who are changing the gospel. Look what Paul says in verse 15 through 17. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So then have I become your enemy because I told you the truth. They, and that's the false teachers, they court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. Throughout the book of Galatians, Paul has told us the content of the false teacher's false message. 
But right here, he gets into the motives of their false teaching. They were teaching that there was something beyond the gospel that would open up a better spiritual life to them that only they had the key to. And so rather than pointing people to be like Jesus Christ, they were pointing people to be like them, the false teachers. And they were creating this two-tier system within Christianity where there were the people who believed in Jesus, but then there were also the people who believed in Jesus and were like us. They were creating this inner circle, this place where there seemed to be more life. And they created this fear of missing out. And their goal was a wrong goal. Their goal as the false teachers was not to get people to follow Jesus, but to get people to follow them. That's what they really wanted. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And the false teachers would say, follow me. These people would open the Bible. They would talk about Jesus, but their goal was to sidetrack the Galatian church from true life in Jesus Christ to following them. False teachers are false because of the content of their teaching, but the teaching of false teachers is often false because they themselves have bad goals and warped intentions. They want to be made much of. And they believe that life for them is not found in leading people to Jesus, but getting people to follow them. And so you, you need to be discerning. Because there are people who will tell you, listen, it's not about following Jesus, it's about following Jesus and becoming like me. There are a lot of good teachers out there, but there are a lot of bad teachers out there promising you more than life in Christ if you'll just be like them, if you'll just follow them. And you need to be discerning. Recently, there was a, a, a preacher that's popped up in my like YouTube feed in the last six months and I really liked his communication style. Like I was like, I'd like to preach like that guy. He's good. And it looks like there's full of life in the church that he's at. So I listened to him for a while then I just went and checked on the website and under their what we believe statement, there's something there that's a blatant heresy. Like it's a twisting of the gospel. And I was like, oh no, I really like this guy. And then as I began to follow him, I saw that he would go to other churches that believe this really wrong thing as well. And he's even come to South Florida here and preached at one of the most popular churches here. And yet people are flocking to it, not even caring what he teaches because it looks like he's offering life. But he's actually leading people towards death because he's twisting the gospel. So you need to be careful be careful as you interact because sometimes you'll feel flattered by a teacher because they want to be flattered by you. And what Paul says is that, listen, true life is not found in being like the teacher unless you're being like the teacher who's being like Jesus. And so Paul says, look here, I'm not here to flatter you. I'm here to tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts, but the truth of the gospel will always bring life into your life life. If you weren't here, I'd recommend you go back and listen to the sermon we did in January called Watch Out 
If you can put that slide up, watch out, beware the gimmicks where we really unpack and explain how false teaching works psychologically and how it draws you in to think that there's life somewhere else and it just adds something or takes something away from the gospel, but in that you lose the gospel. And life is really found in the gospel. And when life is found in the gospel, the gospel becomes the thing celebrated, not the preacher, not the church, but the life of the gospel in the church. Tim Keller says it this way, if you can advance one. A gospel-based ministry is marked by loving honesty, not spin, image, and flattery. My deepest hope for you is that you will become more like Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of parts about me that have room to grow. And in those places where I'm not like Jesus, I pray that you would advance me and that you would become more like Jesus and become more alive to the gospel and root your identity deeper in the gospel. Because if you're made like me, then you're falling desperately short of being made like Jesus. And so my hope for you is that you will find your deepest identity in who Jesus says you are and that you will find true life in the gospel and not be marked by the tragedy that happened in the Galatian church. Mount Everest is a treacherous place. The highest point in the world, it's, it's so treacherous that when you go up and you use oxygen tanks or supplies, you just leave them on the, on the side of the path because you don't have the energy to carry them back down. And many people have actually died on Everest and it's tragic, but their bodies remain there because no one has the strength in that high of altitude to bring them down. And now they're just markers and signposts for the path. And at times on Mount Everest, people have been so into pursuing their selfish goals that they've literally passed dying people on the path in order to make it to the top. And when they come back down, that person has died. That is the worst example or the most tragic example of what it looks like to think that life is somewhere else and that you get your identity from some accomplishment, some achievement, some getting to the top. If I can just get there, then I'll have a secure identity. If I can just grab hold of that thing, then I'll find life. If I can just ascend. What's amazing about Jesus Christ though is you don't have to ascend anywhere to find your identity in him, to find life in him, he descends to you. He descends to you. He comes down to give you life. He, he left the glories of heaven to come and die for your sin. He lived a perfect life but was killed as a criminal. He rose from the dead, he ascended back into heaven, he sent his spirit, and if you know him now, your Holy, his Holy Spirit now lives inside of you to give you new life. And as you begin to grasp his sacrificial love for you, it changes you from the inside out. Christ begins to be formed in you. See, that's really the ultimate end of the gospel. 
That's the goal that God has for you in being a Christian who rests in your identity and finds freedom and life in Jesus Christ is that as you understand what Christ has done for you and his, spirit, his spirit's presence changes you, you would actually begin to look like Jesus. As you see the way that he has descended in his self-giving love, both to the cross and into you, it fills you with love in order that you might become a loving person just like Jesus Christ. The goal of the gospel is that your identity would be freed, that you would find new life, and that Christ would be formed in you. I'll end with this. Romans 8, 29, Paul puts it another way. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Friends, the goal of the gospel is to make you like Jesus Christ. And the good news is God is committed to do it. He will do it in you. He's making you more like Jesus Christ as your identity is freed in him, as you find life in him, you are becoming more like him. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the descent from heaven to earth, from the throne room into our hearts, that you have made us more like you as you've forgiven us. We pray, Father, that you would continue to form Jesus in us. We would love to be a, 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 a reflection of who Christ was in this earth in our neighborhood. And we know that you're committed to this. So afresh, we, we look to you for identity. We look to you for life. And we know that you are making us more like Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, please stand with me and sing.